Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The church is really technically, according to Peter, we are a new nation. Now, we all have our national identities, and national identities are okay as long as we don't take them to an extreme. But our primary identity is in Christ. We're a new nation. That's what the Bible says. That's what the New Testament says. The church is a new nation. God's created a new nation. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18, in a message titled, One New Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. At the temple in Jerusalem, a wall that separated the the court of the Gentiles from the Jewish section of the temple. And there was nothing necessarily the matter with having the the separation, but it was the, the wall of separation that was really indicative of where the hearts of the people were. Because it wasn't simply that they built a wall, but then they placed warning signs all around the wall stating that anyone who would trespass beyond this point, any Gentile that would trespass beyond this point would do so on the pains of death. So this, this is, again, you see that attitude. The Gentiles could only come so far. Now, in these days, really, according to the Jew, if a Gentile wanted to be a, a worshiper of God, you, you actually had to become a proselyte. You had to convert to Judaism. There was no way at least from the standpoint of the Jewish mind, that the Gentiles could ever have any kind of a a direct access to God as the Jews had. What Paul is telling the world in this passage is that is exactly what God has done. God has opened the door for the Gentiles to come and have a relationship with God, not via Judaism. They don't have to go that, that route any longer. Now they can come directly to him. And these are the things that Paul is talking about here because Christ has abolished the things that prevented that from happening. And it's a little bit complex here what Paul is saying, but what he's actually telling us, he's talking about the law and how God's law was the very thing that separated us both from him, and it separated the Gentiles from the Jews. Now, the law of God separated us from him. It didn't bring us to him. One of the greatest mistaken notions in all of the history of the church is the notion that somehow the law of God brings you to God, that you, you obey God's law, and then that's how you get into favor with him. You keep the Ten Commandments, and then God accepts you. That's completely contrary to the New Testament. It's completely contrary to the Old Testament as well. That's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that the law was actually the thing that was separating us from God. And it was because of our inability to keep it. And what the law was constantly doing is pointing to our sin. And as God had declared to the prophet Isaiah, my ear's not heavy that I can't hear. My arm's not short that I can't save but your sins have separated you from me. You see, the law pointed out our sin. 
But then also the law really had built into it this separation between Jew and Gentile. Like I've already said, the Jews took it to a whole nother level that was never intended by God. But God originally built into the law things that would keep the Jewish nation separate from the rest of the nations of the world for their protection, for their benefit. So there were the dietary laws and the hygienic laws and these things all really mitigated against close association with the Gentiles. But what Paul is telling us is that Christ, he did away with all of this. He took the law out of the way through dying in our place, paying the penalty for our sin, and that reconciles us to God. He fulfilled all of those types and things that the rituals of the law were pointing to, so he removed that barrier between Jew and Gentile. He did all of this through his work on the cross. Now, as Paul is writing this, he's explaining it to the Gentiles, but I think he's also, in the back of his mind, explaining it to the Jews because they needed to be reminded of this over and over and over again. You know, it's amazing how we can get certain things so ingrained in our minds that even though God might have done something entirely different or new, we're so programmed to think in a certain way, we just have a hard time embracing that or realizing that. And so Paul keeps bringing this back around over and over and over again, reminding them that this is a whole new thing. The church is a whole new thing. God is doing a, a new thing with the church, as I said. And he says here, to make of the two in himself, he's making of the two one new man. Or you can extend that idea out, one new man. Like I said earlier, it's one new humanity. What God is doing with the church is he's creating a whole new humanity. That, to me, is the astounding thing. We're part of a, a whole new creation that God is in the process of bringing into existence. And like I said earlier, the original creation, he started with the material universe and he concluded it. The climactic moment in the, the first creation was the creation of man in the image of God. But now in the new creation, it's reversed. God has started with people and he's recreating us in Christ. But this new creation is eventually going to encompass the entire universe. It's going to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. But think about this. You're part of that. That's where it's all headed. Your new birth, your reconciliation with God, your being brought into this new humanity is a part of this bigger picture that will end in God's eternal kingdom being established and you're going to be part of it. I'm going to be part of it. That's absolutely astounding. It's amazing. It's wonderful. Don't you think so? I, I think it's great. I think it's fantastic. Now, I wasn't really needing you to clap, but I'm glad you did because I want you to be happy about that. That's something to rejoice over. Now, another thing that we need to see here in verse 18. Well, look at verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. Again, the far off were the Gentiles, the Jews were near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. 
This, again, this is revolutionary. The, the Gentiles are going to be brought in now with, and they're going to have equal access with the Father. You see, this is what the new covenant, this is one of the chief features of the new covenant, that everybody would know God personally, individually. They would no longer need the mediation of a priesthood. They would no longer need the mediation of a sacrificial system that took place under Moses. But now all would know me. This is what it says about the new covenant. God says, in that day, I'm going to make a new covenant with them. Not like the one that I made with them when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt because they didn't follow through with that covenant. But I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to put my laws in their hearts and in their mind. And no one's going to have to go to his neighbor and say, listen, know the Lord or you know, the idea of a mediator. No, all shall know me from the least to the greatest. That's New Testament Christianity. One of the greatest blunders in the history of the church is when the church set up a new spiritual hierarchy. When the church set up a new system that made a distinction between what we commonly call the clergy and the laity. Everything has to do with the, the collective. And you're, you're just, you're part of the church. And there's no, there's no encouragement to seek personal fellowship with God. The priests are the mediators. And even in the forgiveness of sins, you don't just simply say, God, I ask you to forgive my sins. You go to a priest and you ask the priest to mediate for you. When I was a boy, that's exactly what I did. I went into the confessional. I confessed my sins. And then the priest at the end of my confession absolved me of my sin and told me to go out and say certain things as penance. But this whole system is completely contradictory to what the New Testament teaches because verse 18 tells us that through Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, all of us alike, we have access to the Father, full and complete access. We have equal access. The Reformation of the 16th century was basically a rediscovery of these great truths. The three primary themes of the Reformers were these, and they they used Latin to describe them. The, the first was sola fide, which meant faith alone, salvation by grace through faith alone. That, that's what the New Testament teaches. The, the church had long since lost that. The reformers, going back to the Bible, they rediscovered it, and that was their proclamation. No, salvation is not by works, it's by grace through faith. The second of their great themes was a sola scriptura. The Bible is the authority. The word of God is the final authority. We don't recognize the authority of the Pope. We don't recognize the authority of the cardinals and the bishops or the church. We now only recognize the authority of scripture. And then the third was the priesthood of all believers. You see, because the, the Roman system had set up uh, this, this priesthood that was very similar to the Old Testament. So they had gone back to what was under the Old Covenant and completely missed, and still, tragically to this very day, miss the New Testament picture. According to the New Testament, every person who believes in Jesus is a priest. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are his own special people. Those are, the, those are the words that the New Testament uses. 
And just as the priest in the Old Testament was the one to access God on behalf of the people, we now have that direct access. So you see, we all have equal access. Now to make this even more practical in its application, I, I wanna say this, we often make the mistake, even in our type of setting, we often make the mistake of, of somehow thinking that the pastors or the leaders maybe have a little better access to God than I might as the average Christian person. Now, I'm not condemning anybody for that. I'm just saying, listen, understand that that's not the case. Now, if you come to me and ask me to pray for you, I'm happy to pray for you. I love to pray for you. I want to pray for you. But if you come to me and ask me to pray for you because you think I'm closer to God and I can get, I, I can get to him better than you can, I'm not going to pray for you then <laughs> because that's not true. Now, you have equal access to the Father. Of course, I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you. We all want to pray for each other. But whenever we get this mindset that there are certain people who have more access or better access or people who can be closer to God than I can, we have the wrong idea. The biblical picture is equal access for all. You have as much access to the Father as I do, and I have as much access as anybody else does. There is no spiritual hierarchy. We are all on the same level. We're all on the same footing. We all have equal access to the Father. Anyone, everyone who is in Christ has the same access to the Father, and it's full access. We have full access. Now, although I read through to the 22nd verse, I'm going to hold off in looking at verses 19 through 22, and we'll look at that in the weeks to come. And I want to sort of conclude things now, but I want to do so by, by leaving you with three things from the text that we've just read over. And the first thing that I want to leave you with is this. Remember that many all around us, remember what their true state is. They are without God, without Christ, and without hope. Don't forget that. Now, of course, most people aren't going to let you know that, are they? Most people are putting on a pretty good front. Most people are acting like they've got it all together. It's all cool. It's all good. I'm fine. I don't need anything. I don't need anybody. I don't need any help. Uh, but you know, the reality is much different than that. Before I was a Christian, nobody would have outwardly looked at me and concluded, man, you know, Brent's really messed up. He really needs God. He doesn't have any hope or any of that. I put on a good front. The fact of the matter was, I was dying inside. I was empty. Life was meaningless. I didn't have any hope. And the gospel came, and I responded to it. My point is that that's, people all around us are like this today. So don't be fooled by what you see externally. Know that this is the case. The description in verse 12, this is the reality for people. They are without Christ. They are without God. They are without hope. And we have the privilege and the blessing and the responsibility to let them know that they can be brought near through the blood of Christ, just as we have. 
They can be brought near. They can come to know God. They can come to have this experience with him. And people all around us, the majority of people that we live amongst, that's the condition of their souls truly. So let's not forget that. And let's pray that God will open doors for us. Let's take every opportunity that we can to bring to people the hope that we have in Christ, the, the good news that you can be brought near to God. How near? Well, as near as Jesus is. How near is Jesus to God? He's, he's in the bosom of the Father. We're brought right into that intimacy with God. Secondly, since we are a new man in Christ, since we are part of a new humanity, we need to remember that things are going to be much different or should be much different in the church than they are out in the world. And what is the world like today? Well, it's, it's really very similar to what it was in Paul's day. The world is still divided up racially. The world is divided, divided up uh, through various social structures. The, the world has all kinds of current divisions, but the church is a different place. It's a different humanity. It's a new thing. Those kinds of things are not to be part of the church. And one of the greatest blights upon the church in all of its history would be something like racism. Racism and Christianity are mutually exclusive. How could it ever have been? How could it still be today that there are racist overtones among Christians and in churches. How could that be? You have to completely miss the point of the New Testament to have racist ideas. How tragic, how horrific. You see, when a person comes to Christ, all of those things are gone. There's a reconciliation that takes place. If there's a true work of God's spirit in your life, if there's a true work of God's spirit uh, among the congregation, there will not be a hint of racism. There will not be a trace of it. It, it would not be able to, to have a place whatsoever. I seriously, this is something that I don't talk much about it, but in my own heart, this is something that I'm just personally so grieved over it to see what's happened over the, the long history of the church and in you know, the distant history of our nation, but even in some churches today, still, this is the case and it never should be the case. I pray, my prayer, you wanna know my desire, is I pray that this church would be multicolored, that we would have every ethnicity, every tribe, tongue, and nation. That, that's my heart. When we were in London, we had a church that... Uh, we, we had a church in London. Our church was made up of about 58 different nations. And I loved it. It was just so amazing. And I remember I was being interviewed on a radio uh, program one time in London. And they were asking me, uh, because they knew one, one of the interesting elements of our church in London was the, the large numbers of uh, ethnic people that were there. And they, they asked me this question. They said, so what was your strategy to have a multi ethnic church. How did you go about this? I, I had no strategy. We're just teaching God's word and loving people and God's, God's bringing the people in and we're accepting everybody he brings through the door. That's, that's the way it's supposed to be. 
So remember that. This is a whole new thing. It's a new humanity. The church is really technically, according to Peter, we are a new nation. Now, we all have our national identities. And national identities are okay as long as we don't take them to an extreme. But our primary identity is in Christ. We're a new nation. That's what the Bible says. That's what the New Testament says. The church is a new nation. God's created a new nation. So although I might be Irish and Scottish by my heritage, um, I'm, I'm first and foremost a Christian. And I, I must guard my heart and I must avoid, you know, you can go to different places in the world where you're going to find, even among Christians, you're going to find nationalistic tensions. You have to watch out for that. You have to be on your guard against that. We have to remember there's no place for racism. There's no place for classism. What is classism? It's, it's the setting up of, of the different classes. You have the lower class, the working class, some call it, the middle class, the upper class. And I mean, that's, that's the reality of life, but we can't treat people differently based upon the class. If we do that, we're violating the scriptures. We're contradicting the, the message of the New Testament. So we have to watch out for that kind of thing. There shouldn't be chauvinism among us. And we commonly think of chauvinism in the context of male chauvinism, but the word doesn't really speak to the gender issue. But you have, maybe you could call it sexism or you could have male chauvinism and feminism. They're, they're both the exaltation or the excessive emphasis on a particular thing. These things are done away with in Christ. They're, they're done away with in Christ. There should not be the idea of any kind of supremacy of race or supremacy of gender or supremacy. Even, of course, the final one I would warn us against is Phariseeism. Phariseeism is the same kind of thing. It's just a spiritual version of it. So I look down on people. I'm more spiritual than they are or we are more spiritual than they are, or our church is more spiritual than that church, or we Christians in our group, we're more spiritual than those other people. That's Phariseeism. And these things don't have any place in the church of Jesus Christ. And finally, the last point, the personal one here, remember this. Remember, for he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Jesus is our peace. He's the one who made peace for us with the Father. He's the one who brings us peace in our souls. He's the one who produces peace among us as God's people. He's the one who brings peace to conflict and division. Jesus is the great reconciler. And he reconciles us through making peace. He is our peace. And so today, realize that he is our peace. It's through him that we have peace with God. It's through him that we will experience the peace of God. And it's through him that we will live in peace with each other. As God's new humanity, as God's new creation, that he will eventually replace the existing material universe with. That's the gospel. That's where it's headed.
For the month of November, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue next time with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.